morning, church. Lord, we are ready for you. We're embracing you this morning, God, and we just ask that you would draw us one step closer to you. Lift your head, lift your eyes, look to the sun. In the test, in the trial, his grace is enough. His grace is enough. Oh, my soul.
church, I'm reminded how Jesus is more than enough. He is enough. Amen.
Father, we know that the Spirit brings us healing. It brings us truth. It brings us understanding. It brings us revelation. And Father, we know that by the Spirit, we can experience joy and peace and love. And we just want more of that. We need more of that. And as we continue moving through our lives and carrying out the purpose that you have set for us and for the body of Christ. We just pray that you continue filling us with your presence so that everything that we do may be for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name.
one says give thanks to the Lord for he is good his steadfast love endures forever to believe that this morning church do we believe that he is a good good God let's sing it together let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run the fountain I drink from oh he is my song let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my song, for you are good, you're good. Oh, you are good, you're good. Be the wind inside my 
Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. We are glad that you're with us in the building, on the patio, online right now in the worship venue. We're just glad that you are with us. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I do this thing where I hang out with people afterwards. And so if you see me out there and I haven't got a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you, meet your children. I got to meet a new family this morning and they're beautiful young children. I love it because my kids are getting older and we need you guys to have more children so that we can live vicariously through you. 
That's how that works. And so uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. And I got to get running because we came loaded today. So we got a lot to talk about. I want to start off by uh, just mentioning to you that there are things in life that are optional and things in life that are non-optional. In fact, we go through life Uh, You know, kind of deciphering between the optional things and the non-optional things. Hopefully I spend the majority of my time doing the non-optional things, and I prioritize, I mean, sorry. Yeah, and I prioritize not doing the optional things, and I keep what's uh, important important. I got fumbled there in my mind. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. Like They say human beings are unable to live without water for more than three days. I would say that's in the non-optional category. We're gonna need to drink water. You cross-reference that with your incessant need for coffee and you have something that is optional, right? You see how that works? Uh, Regular oil changes, probably very, very important for the life of your car, but that's probably in the optional category as it relates to comparing to like going scuba diving without a, you know, tank of air. Non-optional, feel me? That's how that works. Ladies, having a big wedding with the best caterer. And while that's very, 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 very important, we would probably put that in the optional category. Uh, Hate to bring it to you, that's true. Um, Being a loyal fan of your childhood sports team, not optional. And (laughs) I live that one out very, very well. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, There are some things in life that are optional and some things in life that are non-optional. I recently had the opportunity to drive one of those self-driving Tesla cars. I mean, more than just like the auto self-pilot where it keeps you on the freeway and the lane or whatever, and it might change the lane for you. No, uh, complete full self-driving, meaning like it goes to a stoplight and it stops. And when the light turns green, it goes for you and it goes to a stop sign and turns the directional indicator on for you and turns and takes you wherever you're going, like full self-driving. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to want to do that. I'm too much of a control freak. I want my hands on the wheel. I want my feet on the pedals. Like I'm a control freak. I want to control everything in life. And so I'm not going to like this whole self-driving thing. But it was as simple as like two clicks on the right-hand indicator. And I thought, let me just try this for two minutes. Click, click. And all of a sudden, it starts driving for you. And you know what I realized in those two minutes? Do you know how much time we spend like concentrating on keeping the car in the center of the road? I mean, we spend so much mental energy on just keeping the car in the center of the road. And by the way, you're not good at it. I watch you all the time, squirm in and out. The car does it for you with these Teslas. Like they, 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 they drive for you. It keeps you in the center. It keeps you so many, you know, car links behind the person in front of you. And I left that two-minute experience thinking to myself, you know what? Driving will one day be optional. It's going to be an optional thing. Like one day there'll be a day where we don't, like you can optional drive or not drive. It'll drive for you. It'll become an option. In fact, I'll tell you this. I'll be a prophet right now. I will tell you that my daughter's grandchildren won't know what it means to go to the DMV and take a driver's test. Because they'll be like, what is that? What's a driver's test? It's kind of like today when we try to explain what a rotary telephone is or a code on the phone or a cord on the phone. You know, you know what's, that? what's that? What's that all about? There will be a day where driving is actually an optional thing. Do you believe me? I'm telling you, you need to try one of those things. Uh, it'll change your life. Um, driving, optional, non-optional. I bring this up this morning because it's interesting to consider things that are optional and things that are non-optional in life. And today we're going to look at how sometimes God's word, as much as we hate to say it, becomes optional in our lives. Like when I look at the word of God, is this optional or non-optional? Uh, I don't, uh, that page really encourages me, so I'll keep that one. But this page over here, ooh, that's kind of convicting. I'll tear that page out. Uh, and so we go through this whole thing, even in our spiritual lives, considering whether the word of God itself is optional in our lives. 
And while we probably don't intentionally do this, we still do it nonetheless, if we're honest. How do we demonstrate that God's word is optional in our lives and what are the ramifications of that in our lives? Why is it so easy to put God in the take it or leave it category in our world and what happens when we ignore him? How do we resist relegating God's word to a mere suggestion? And how do we avoid the pitfalls that fall on those that do? For that, we're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter four. Encourage you, bring a Bible, open it up, get there with me. Uh, if you have, a, a, open up a new screen, if you have a phone, get your phone out, take notes, highlight, underline, all those things, dive into the word of God, saturate yourself in it. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter four, verses one, through 11, chapter four. By the way, nobody makes me do this. This is my style. I love doing this. I love taking a Bible book and then, you know, and teaching through it verse by verse, word by word, paragraph by paragraph. That's like, nobody's forcing me to do that. People, like, that's what I want to do. Um, you know, somebody asked me, like, what are you preaching on next week? I don't know. Uh, whatever's on verse 12 to the end of the chapter is what we'll preach on next week. That's our topic. <laughs> and so we just come, whatever the word of God says, we say, and there's some joy to that. And it makes it kind of like, it's like a reality church, right? You never know what's going to happen. And so, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and the overarching question today is, what happens when we relegate God's word to simply being optional in our lives? What happens when we relegate God's word to just being an optional thing in our lives? It's not in the non-optional category. We let, let it go to the optional category. The first thing we're going to see is we tend to listen to all the chatter around us. Well, if we're not listening to God's word, then what are we listening to? We're listening to all the chatter that's out there. I'm not gonna take this and place it up high in my life and put myself underneath it. So what am I putting above in my life? What, what is my North Star? It's some other chatter besides the word of God. And so we're gonna see that right now in 1 Samuel chapter four, and we'll look at verses one through four together. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the uh, words are on the screen. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and you never had one, we'd like to get you one. Go out, go to the left, and say, I don't have a Bible, and they will give you one. And they'll even give you a little thing there so you can get your name put on it. So please, we would love to give you your first Bible. Make sure you do that. We want you to have a copy of the Word of God. First uh, Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says this. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. And now Israel went into battle against the Philistines, and they encamped in Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. And the Philistines drew up a line against Israel, and when, the battle, and, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, this is all the chatter, why is it the Lord defeated uh, us today before the Philistines? Let us bring out the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, and it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies." And so the people sent to, sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. We'll stop there. What happens when we relegate ourselves, or we relegate God's word uh, to simply being optional in our lives, we tend to listen to all the chatter around us. We tend to listen to all the chatter. We listen to the chatter. We're not listening to God. All right, we start off with this really interesting verse. I don't know if you saw it there, but verse one uh, doesn't seem to match up with the rest of the passage. I mean, it said, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. And then all of a sudden, we're talking about the Philistines and, the, and Israel in this battle. Why is this, Sam, Samuel's not even a figure in this story. 
But he's listed there as, as word about Samuel gets spread to all of Israel. And then we go into this story about this battle between the Philistines. And I want you to file this in the back of your head today as we go through this passage. Keep on thinking to yourself that this is an important piece of understanding our passage today. Like, like it's a fact that's very important. Why is this verse even here? Doesn't seem to match up with the rest of the passage. What is its purpose? And by the way, if you can figure out the answer to this question, why is verse one there? You win 25 points. And you take those 25 points and you go to Kenny and Kenny will buy you dinner. You can take that to the bank and Kenny will have to go to the bank and buy you dinner. He's not buying you dinner, folks. But the point is, think about the verse. Why is it there? Well, from there, we go right into a transitionless break into another section where we find there's an altercation between the Philistines and Israel. And they're going to battle with each other, uh, and Israel's having, uh, finding themselves having to defend themselves against the Philistines, and they lose the battle where 4,000 of their men die. Now, the Philistines were so entrenched and dominant in the coastal areas of the foothills of Canaan that they eventually gave their namesake to the area. So, fun fact, Palestine comes as a derivative of the, of, of the Philistines. Now, they're so well known in the area uh, uh, as far as conquering stuff that they actually gave their namesake to that general region. Uh, Israel kind of is baffled by this. When the world just happened, uh, our God defends us and, and helps us win wars. Why did we lose 4,000 men? But it's interesting that if you saw in verse three, they don't give the credit to the Philistines. They give the credit to God. I wanna go back there and see in verse three. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why is it that the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? They don't say, why did the Philistines win? They say, why did the Lord defeat us before the Philistines? And so, so the Philistines don't get the credit, but the Lord gets the credit for the loss of the battle. It, it seems clear that they have some kind of acknowledgement that something's up. Something's up that our God wouldn't defend us, but they don't go and entreat God about it. They don't go, God, what happened here? They don't go and, and, and pray and say, God, please help me. What, what's going on? What, what's up? They never go to the Lord in this. Instead, they have a counterintuitive response to send for the Ark of the Covenant. I say counterintuitive because in one sense, you know, they do see God as the solution. God is who, who, who's symbolically represented in the ark. Uh, um, we know that he's going to have to be a part of this if we're going to win. But the other problem is they never ask him what they should do. Well, why, why wouldn't you go to God and say, God, what's going on here? What can be done? What do you want from us? They skip that part and they just go straight to bring in the ark of the covenant. And the idea is, Maybe if we bring the Ark of the Covenant before us, God surely isn't gonna allow himself to be taken over by the Philistines, is he? Like he's not gonna allow himself to be captured, like the Ark of the Covenant be captured by another. There's no way. And so we can almost manipulate God into having to force into helping us win this battle. It wouldn't be unlike what we do today with the crucifix, modern day crucifix. Um, you might see baseball players, they kiss the crucifix, they do the sign of the cross, and then they go up to bat. And they're hoping they hit a home run. Maybe if I kiss the cross, then I'll get a home run, right? It's like a rabbit's foot. It's a good luck charm. And they're treating the Ark of the Covenant something like that. All the chatter around the people and the elders surrounds this religious gesture, but no one thinks to ask God. And that's kind of the major point. Like, why didn't they go to God and say, God, what's going on? 
Instead, we'll do this religious gesture. We'll force God's hand, and he'll have to defend us. Now, there's a reason why they would do this, uh, this religious gesture, and the reason is because they've done this before. Uh, Numbers chapter 10, verse 35, Joshua chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, there was a time, there have been times in their history where the people of God carried the presence of God through the Ark of the Covenant and God defended them. As God is leading them into battle, they are actually defended and they win those battles. And they thought, to well, here's the formula. You bring the Ark and God defeats the enemy that you have. But there is one difference. Did you guys catch who was carrying the Ark? Did you guys see that? Verse four, and so the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Who was carrying it? Hophni and Phinehas. What do you remember about those two characters? Uh, they have more than a checkered past, if you've been with us in this series. Uh, they still God's meat and they still God's women. They were taking the meat that was uh, meant for God and saying, no, we want the portion that's for God. We, God made sure that the priests had a portion to eat. Don't, don't get me wrong. They had their portion. We don't want that portion. We want God's portion. We want to eat that. They would steal that. Not only that, there were women who would come and serve at the temple and they would sleep with them. This is the atrocity of this, representing God and then doing that. And so these are the two priests that are supposed to be carrying the very presence of God into battle, and they have unrepentant sin in their life. Now, there is so much irony going on in this, I have to take some extra special time just to go through with it, just so you can see what's going on here and really get the idea of what's happening in the passage. And I wish all of you were in a growth group, because this week's going to be unbelievable discussions on this type of thing. And if you're in a growth group, you want to take some notes right now. The irony of this thing, the ark symbolically housed the presence of God. Now, we've talked about before, you can't fit God in a four-foot box, okay? God is omnipresent. He's all, everywhere present, all present everywhere. So he can't fit in a four-foot box. But it symbolically represented his presence and his power. And there was a, a special presence that would fall along this box, but it didn't house all that God was in that box. It was a large wooden box overlaid with gold, the finest of gold for sure. Uh, this, what I wanna call like a four foot box, had four rings on the four corners of the box. Those rings were gold encrusted rings where they would put these wooden rods through. They would be gold encrusted good, uh, uh, wooden rods. And so what would happen is you could have one person at the back holding two rods on his shoulder and one person in the front holding two rods on the shoulder, and they could carry the Ark of the Covenant where they went. This made it so that nobody would actually have to touch the Ark itself, you know, nobody touched the box, because if you were to touch the box, you would surely die. Can't touch uh, what symbolically represents the presence of God without dying. In fact, in the Old Testament, you can't even look on God without dying. There was one person who could touch that box, and that'd be the high priest. Everybody else had to have like these, these rods or these handles that would keep them from touching the box so that they could live. And so you have, as it were, two rods, Hophni and Phinehas are the ones who are, who are carrying this thing. And you see the irony 
God is so holy that if you touch the box, you die. And yet the people that are carrying this thing are living in such non-congruent, holy lives of their own without repentance. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was considered to be a footstool of the enthronement of God amongst the cherubim, the angels. In fact, on the very lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the lid that sealed it, were these two pictures of the cherubim. And the idea was that God is sitting on his throne above the ark and his footstone is the ark of the covenant. So here is God sitting on the ark of the covenant, his feet resting upon the cherubim seal, which represents that he is amongst the angels, the army of angels that are ready to be dispatched. He is the king sitting on his throne, this is my footstool, and I have the army of angels ready to dispatch to defend you in battle. And so the idea is they're bringing in their king who's about to dispatch the armies of heaven and annihilate the Philistines. Now, one final thing on this irony. What was housed in the Ark of the Covenant were two tablets. Two tablets that had the law. The God himself inscribed with his own fingers of a covenant between God and his people Israel. We see this in Exodus chapter 34, verse one. That wherever the ark of the covenant of God went, that, those tablets were there. The very presence of God would travel with it. God sitting on his throne, his footstool is the ark, and as a great reminder, here is the covenant of the law. Now what did that covenant represent? that if you honor your side, Israel, I will honor my side and I will protect and provide for you. But if you don't honor your side, Israel, I will not honor my side and I will punish you. That is the covenant of the law. And so you have this unbelievable display of God who's supposed to be presiding over, his feet are on the footstool of the ark, so holy you can't even touch it. The very tablets of the law are in there that represent when you follow your side, I'll follow my side. And these two priests that are carrying it are so clearly living in the opposite direction of how God would have them live their lives. Two wicked priests bringing out the Ark of the Covenant into the battlefield as if it's some kind of a rabbit's foot. What do you think is gonna happen with that kind of hypocrisy? And by the way, all the chatter is this is exactly what you should do. And nobody thinks to ask God. Nobody thinks to say let's get his opinion on the matter. What do you think is gonna happen? Well, let's see. What happens when we relegate God's word to simply being optional in our lives? It didn't approach God, didn't ask, entreat God. Um, well, the first thing we see is that we, that we tend to listen to all the chatter around us rather than listening to God's word. We're not listening to his word, so we're listening to everything else. And now we're gonna see that we tend to languish in all the conventional wisdom. We languish in all the conventional wisdom that we're getting outside of God. So we don't go to God and his word and, 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 and receive a word from him. We get all the other wisdom and then we languish in the 
consequence of that. Let's look at that together in verses five through 11. It says this, as soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. And they said, a God has come into the camp. And as they said, woe to us, Nothing like this happened to us before. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods, plural? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. And so the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his own home. And there was a very great slaughter. 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell and the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of, uh, of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. That was actually prophesied, I believe, in chapter two that that would happen. What happens when we relegate God's word to simply as being optional in our lives? Well, we languish in all the conventional wisdom and conventional wisdom did not help Israel at all in this situation. The, actual, the reaction between Israel and the Philistines is actually rather interesting. Uh, Israel, oh, as the Ark of the Covenant comes into, um, into their camp, they shout. It's a, such a deafening roar when they shout that, that the Philistines can hear it two miles away. It says that the earth resounded, the ground is resounding. And so they shout because they think they're going to win now. The Philistines cower because they think they're doomed because of the reputation of their quote-unquote gods uh, which would be in the plural form. And the idea is that so many things that they've heard of that happened to, to the Pharaoh and, and Egypt, they sur- surmise that they must have access to multiple gods for all that to be possible. Like so many things happen, all these plagues, they must have access to all these different gods. And so they're scared, oh my gosh, if that happened to Egypt, what's gonna happen to us? And yet, concessively, the Philistines decimate Israel in battle. In this battle, I want, I'll start that, this battle. Uh, God's not gonna go down letting the Philistines win in the end, but for right now, he's dealing with Israel, and we'll see what he does to the Philistines down the line. The Philistines find courage, maybe just from the fact that they're backed up against the wall, there's no way out except to fight and move forward. In their endeavors doing that, they kill 30,000 Israeli foot soldiers, and it says they were slaughtered. Interesting note, the same exact Hebrew word describing the decimation of Pharaoh in Egypt is the same exact word that God uses here to describe how Israel was slaughtered. Same word. Two priests, Hophni and Phinehas, they die, which was prophesied earlier. And in the divine warrior motif of ancient times, you gotta understand what everybody would have understood this to be is the God of Israel has lost the God of the Philistines. It wasn't just a battle of human beings. It was a battle, a war of gods. And so God goes down as a lesser God than that of the God of the Philistines. And that won't remain forever, but for right now he's dealing with Israel. Finally, it's also believed that the Philistines destroyed the sanctuary that was in the city of Shiloh. Now this is really kind of a big deal because last week we saw that God came back to Shiloh. God met Samuel there. 
And, and it said, the very last passage, that God was back in Shiloh. And here we believe, it doesn't say it in our text, but we have good reason to believe that the Philistines actually destroyed the sanctuary in Shiloh. Four reasons give us this idea. Uh, never again in First or Second Samuel is the city mentioned as the worship center of Israel. Secondly, the ark is never returned once it's kind of recouped from the Philistines. It's never returned to Shiloh. Moses moves his cent- I'm not Moses. Samuel moves his center of his activities back to his hometown of Ramath. He never goes back to Shiloh. And there are references in both Psalms and Jeremiah of its destruction. There's a large penalty to pay in this battle. They actually lost their place of worship as well. But before we glance away from that, I just wanna make sure that we deal with this sentiment. Because some people can believe God is just kind of a sadistic punishing God, he just wants to punish you. And, and not even having purpose, he just wants to punish you. And, and here it is again, God is the, the God of the Bible is a punishing God. I feel like God's punishing me for I don't know what. I just feel like he's, he's negatively, his predisposition towards me is negative. And I want to remind you that there is a very special relationship, a very specific relationship between God and his people, Israel, the Old Testament. In fact, there's a whole covenant between them. And the covenant went this way. We just talked about it. If you keep your side of the bargain, I'll protect and provide for you. But if you don't keep your side of the bargain, then I will punish you. And it can be very tempting to go, well, we're God's people today. And if God's people, that's how he did, dealt with his people in the Old Testament, then he'll deal with us similarly. And, and you've got to remember, though, we come to God through a new covenant. It's a covenant ratified through the blood of his son, where the conditions are that if we come by means of the crosswork of Christ, that we find pardon and forgiveness. It's a covenant not based on our works, but a covenant based on his works. Preach on, pastor. I'm sorry, uh, that's, uh, we have a new president of our denomination, Converge, his name is Pastor Jenkins. And when he says something that he feels like he should have received some encouragement on, and people don't encourage him, he just encourages himself. <laughs> Preach on, Pastor Jenkins. <laughs> so that's my tribute to Pastor Jenkins in Washington, D.C. That's an amenable part. It's not a covenant based on our works. It's a covenant based on his work. Amen. That's the amen part, right? There you go, there you go. And so we come a little bit different than the Old Testament. We didn't have this agreement with God that if we did this, he'd punish us. If we don't do this, he'd provide. Now God can, I mean, he can discipline us today for sure, but he's not a sadistic God. I just like making your life miserable. He's not doing that. He doesn't do that. In fact, he does the opposite. He pardons us and he forgives us based on the cross of Christ. Well, there is a principle that we can take from this passage, however, and that is that they found themselves devastated by all this because they never inquired of the Lord what they should do. Now, I want to go back to that one little verse in verse 1. Did you figure it out yet? Why is that verse in this passage? We just went 11 verses, have nothing to do with Samuel, and everything to do with Israel fighting the Philistines. Samuel doesn't say a word. Why is verse one there, and the word of Samuel came to all of Israel? Did you figure it out? If you were here last week, you remember that God had placed his hand on Samuel so much so that it, would, that it, that it actually says in chapter three that not a word of his would fall to the ground. 
And if he is to be a prophet of God, representing God's word to the people, everything he, had, he would say would have to be accurate or they were to kill him. And it says that God's hand was on him such that not a word of his would fall to the ground. And then the first verse in chapter 4 says, and the word about Samuel came to all of Israel. Everybody knew. And in the midst of everybody knowing, the elders, and everybody gets together and figure out, why did we lose this battle? Why did God allow 4,000 of our people to be dead? And instead of going to Samuel, saying, Samuel, can you give us a word from the Lord? They say, we got it, we got it. Go get the ark. We're going to do this manipulative gesture. We're going to force God because there's no way God's going to allow himself to be captured by a false god. And so we're going to use him like a rabbit's foot. And we're going to use him, do this spiritual thing that we can do, and we'll force him to act on our behalf. And no one thinks to go to Samuel and say, Samuel, would you please entreat the Lord as our prophet, our new national prophet, as our spokesman, and ask God what we should do? No one does that. He's literally gone from the text after verse one. No one thinks to themselves and say, you know what, maybe we should go and seek a word from the Lord. He's noticeably absent from the story. Nobody ever inquires of him. You see, the path leading to your victory and their demise often depends on whose word you'll follow. The path leading to your victory or demise often depends on whose word you'll follow. You're going to follow the chatter that's out there? You're going to follow the wisdom, the conventional wisdom of the day? Or are you going to follow the word of the Lord? When will you enlist God? When will you get his opinion? Are you going to follow the mainstream and suffer the consequences of ignoring God's word? They had access to the very word of God. They had access to somebody who could give them a word from God, and they ignored him. And if we're honest, sometimes we ignore God's word too. And the path leading to your victory or demise often depends on whose word you will follow. Do I follow the collective wisdom of our day? Do I follow the word of God? Which one do I follow? Let me see if I can illustrate how this happens in our 21st century lives. You see, it's when we feel stuck in a marriage that hasn't brought any fulfillment in two to three years. The times of enjoyment and relational chemistry are now few and far between. If you listen to God's word, you might consider doubling down on your commitment, remembering your lifelong vow that was before the Lord. And you might believe that your efforts to remain are actually the very thing that God might use to bring back those feelings. You see, it's the difficulty that brings about the death. It's the overcoming of these issues together that introduces you to you to a love that's beyond and beneath the surface. Or you could listen to your therapist See, the conventional wisdom of the day is that you should use this opportunity to really find out what you really want out of life and, and make it your aim to find self-fulfillment. Whose word will you follow? It's when you find yourself in a pretty vulnerable state, you're pregnant with not any kind of committed relationship associated with the child, 
According to all the world's messaging, parenting should always be planned. Never should feel obligated to inconvenience yourself and bring a child into this world unwanted. Who would, why would you do that? Of course, God's messaging is much different for it describes every child as wanted. In fact, every child is fearfully and wonderfully made according to the scriptures. And what may feel like an inconvenience today could turn into the greatest blessing tomorrow. Whose word will you follow? It's when you find yourself at a crossroads. You see, you found a really good woman, but you're not sure you're ready to settle down and, and be a family man. Have I exhausted all my options? What if there's a better option out there? I mean, I'm try to, what if there's something better? If you listen to all your male friends, they're advocating for resisting the old ball and chain. Stay on the market. And yet the example of Christ is selflessness finding your self-fulfillment and what you can do and be for others rather than what you can do and be for yourself. And you consider, why not dying to myself, bearing the weight of caring for another as my true source of self-fulfillment? Whose word will you follow? Can I ask you all a question today? Is the word of God optional in your life? Is this an optional thing in your life? Would you put this book on the non-optional category in your life? How often in your life when you come across a decision do you reference this and think to yourself that it's not optional? The path leading to your victory or your demise often depends on whose word you will follow. Just in case there's somebody here who has little to no exposure to all things of a spiritual variety, let me share it, it applies to you too. If you follow the wisdom of this world, they would lead you to believe that God doesn't exist. Everything you see comes because you add a little chance with a little time and you get matter. Thousands, millions of years, life. Of course, the God of the Bible, Scriptures teach something different, that God spoke this world into existence, breathed by his vocal cords, breathed in life into this world. Matter is not here as a coincidence. We are not here as a coincidence, but God breathed us into existence. And as it relates to the word of God, he says that he provides for our sinful humanity you add that to the death of Christ and you can have salvation for those who believe. There's a way for me to be made right with God, that God can forgive me of my sin. I can come by virtue of the new covenant, that if you believe on the Son, he'll forgive you of your sin. Same thing applies to you. The path leading to your victory or your demise often depends on whose word you will follow. So whose word will you follow? Will you follow his? We follow the chatter of the day. I hope that you'll double down and follow his. Because I believe that your life will be blessed when you do. No matter what the situation is, no matter what he's speaking to your mind right now and whispering into your soul, the things that you know that you need to do because they're right before God, do them. Even if it makes the next couple of years kind of hard. Bow your heads, close your eyes together, let's pray.
If you're new to us, I do this every once in a while. I just kind of talk to your soul. Hopefully it's God talking to your soul. I'm just wondering, what's God bringing to your mind? What ways have you as a believer allowed God's word to be optional in your life? And is it time to say, no, I'm gonna move it to the non-optional category? And if you're here and you haven't started a relationship with Jesus Christ, is now the time to say, you know what? I'm gonna stop believing the values of modern culture and I'm gonna start believing in the values according to the word of God. Is that you? Father, I'm mindful of people who are deliberating their minds. Do I really give it all to you? Do I really trust you? Or or should I just manipulate this to get this what I want? To force you to act on my behalf? Do Do I act according to the common day wisdom, the chatter of the day, or do I follow your word? I pray that you give that person courage to follow your word, to enact out your word in their lives. I believe there are people in this room who would say, I've done it and it was hard, but I've always been blessed for it. God's always come through for me. He is a good God. Even in the difficult times and the difficult seasons, I stayed stubborn on the path of his word and it's proved true for me. I pray that you'd give some victories like that for everybody in this room, that they could come back and say, I remember doubling down on the word of God. And I remember him coming through. And that's why I continue to follow his word. Pray you do it in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. You know, Pastor David mentioned the new covenant that God made with man. It goes something like this. You know, we, the Bible says that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. You can read that in Romans chapter 3. It says, because we're sin, we all have sin in our lives. It says, the wages of sin is death, and that's eternal separation from God. But the verse goes on, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life um, for those who believe. If you look in Romans 10, it says that all who believe in, the, in Jesus can be saved. So if you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, if you haven't surrendered like Pastor David was talking about, maybe today is the day when you just give up on living the world's way. The world has dictated a certain way and people pursue that looking for fulfillment and happiness and purpose and it leaves you wanting, it's not there. And it's just a matter of turning your back on that and following after God's way, accepting his offer to save you, believing on his name and it says you will be saved. You will have salvation, eternal life in a new life in him with true meaning, purpose, joy for this world and the world to come. If you're ready to do that today, maybe the day's today, um, I just encourage you to go into the lobby on your way out at the counter on the left-hand side. There's some people there who want who will talk with you, pray with you, answer any questions, uh, celebrate with you, give you a Bible if you don't have one. And if you're online, uh, we'd love to engage with you as well. If you go to campcc.net, click on next steps and fill out that form and we'll get back to you this week. All right. Um, If God's doing something in your life, let us know. Uh, The next thing we're going to do right now is we're going to receive our offering. 
And that's just one of the ways we worship the Lord uh, by being faithful to what his word asks us to do when it comes to giving. It's how all the ministries are supported here. There's three ways to participate, as you can see on the screen. Um, but before we go today, if you could just check out this video of what's coming up here at Camp CC. Hey Camp CC, I'm Abby Lemberg, the new director of our hospitality team. I'm so happy you're here with us. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some great gifts for you at the welcome counter to thank you for checking us out today. I'm talking Starbucks gift cards, thirst quenching mugs, and all you can eat dessert. Mark your connection cards if this is your first, second, or third time with us. Or if you're online watching, go to campcc.net forward slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up here at CamCC. Who will you ask to join you? February 22nd. Seven Seas is registering the new 23 through 24 school year, beginning for members of Camarillo Community Church. New student registration begins on March 1st. March 3rd, Middle School Carnival Night. We're talking inflatables, carnival games, prizes, and a mechanical bull. Say what? It's going to be awesome. For more info, chat with or email jacob at camcc.net. March 14th, worship night. Join us at 7 p.m. for a powerful night of worship, prayer, and scripture. If you haven't checked one of these out yet, save the date and bring a friend. April 3rd through the 7th, we have our Mexico missions trip. Save the date, middle schoolers and high schoolers. For more info, talk with or email zach at camcc.net. To stay in the loop of what's going on here at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to CamCC.net. Well, thank you, Pastor Dave, for that wonderful message. Um, it just reminded me this morning that I was watching uh, The Lion King with my kids this week. If you've ever seen The Lion King, um, my kids were asking about Simba and why he ran away and why was he so scared. And... I told them it's because he listened to the wrong voice. He listened to Scar who was telling him that it was all his fault. He was listening to his fears and his doubts. But all he had to do was go to his mom and she could have just set him straight and she could have loved on him. And the story would have been totally different. We wouldn't have Hakuna Matata, would we? But um, but then this morning, you know, it reminded me, it hit me that there's, there's things in my life where I'm maybe looking to my fears or my doubts or my bank account or my work or whatever it is instead of looking to God's word and to prayer and to praying to him to find that comfort um, to carry me through. So uh, just a little tidbit from my week and um, from the message today. Guests, remember, you can go on out to the welcome counter. We've got gifts for you online. You can go to camcc.net slash next steps and we'll get those gifts to you as well. Um, next week, we just encourage you to invite some friends, fill these seats so we can come together in corporate worship and be praising our God together. Um, join us out on the patio for donuts and coffee and we'll See you next Sunday.